Hi, it's Jasmine. You know, that girl who did you know what way before the internet ever existed. Join me and my special guest every week as we talk about anything and everything because nothing is too taboo. So punch your ticket and get on board the crazy train with me, Jasmine Saint Clair. All aboard! One of the best gimmicks ever in WWE was the Valvinus gimmick. I think he was one of the coolest characters with the best promos. My favorite moment was when he dumped Terry Runnels when she said he was, she was pregnant. So I decided to hop on the uh, podcast with Valvinus this time. It's like a two-hour interview, so I decided to split it up into two. We get into a lot of really touchy subjects, such as uh, his time in WWE, uh, our thoughts on AEW. Some of you may agree with it. Some of you may not agree with it. But nonetheless, it's all very interesting. And of course, his documentary. And we talk about his YouTube station, Top Shelf Anarchy. So let's welcome on board Val Venus. So this is the moment I've been waiting for and a lot of people. You got to tell me, how did you get your Twitter account back? Because you were banned for a while. Like, what is that whole process to get it back from Elon Musk? You know, it was when Elon took over, I guess it was an announcement that he was going to uh, take a look at or have his team, I guess, take a look at all the accounts that were banned and they were going to, you know, give everyone another shot. And uh, sure enough, I put my request in to get that account back. And uh, within a couple of days, I got it back. But prior to that, I had tried multiple times to get it back and they absolutely refused to give it back to me. Yeah, it's unreal. I just started getting shadow banned. I feel like I've earned this really great badge of honor now. So I'm happy. I'm up there with everyone getting shadow banned left and right. Uh, yeah, yeah, now that's another thing is with Elon Musk, even though they gave me the account back, I am heavily shadow banned on there. Really? You know? Yeah, which is kind of, it's disappointing to see. And uh, you know, the, the leftists are still in charge to some degree there. You know what I mean? They may have been given different directives like, hey, don't ban those guys, but they still have free reign to uh, shadow ban you if they don't like your content. Yeah, I don't know if he directly oversees that or if that goes through a little board of um, of geeks that go through it and just go, oh, we don't like this. We don't like that. And, you know, it's out of his control, kind of like the inmates running the asylum. Right. Yeah. Right. Now, a lot of people know who you are, and I know you've had a tremendous career in pro wrestling from Mexico to Japan, all over the world. Why did you choose wrestling as a kid? Is that what you always wanted to be? You know, I always loved pro wrestling growing up. It was uh, it was one of our favorite things, my brother and I and my uncle, especially um, pro wrestling was a it was a huge, um, a huge deal to us. You know, it was, it was great entertainment. I never really envisioned becoming a pro wrestler. You know, my brother and I would goof around. I wrestled as a kid as well, um, you know, in, in Greco and freestyle. Um, but it wasn't until my second last year of high school when I had a former WWE uh, or WWF at the time uh, pro wrestler. He was retired at that point. He said, you ever thought about doing this professionally? You know, because I was doing collegiate or not collegiate, but Greco and freestyle at the time. And uh, he asked me, would you ever consider doing this professionally and making money? 
And uh, I told him I never envisioned that. I wanted to become a helicopter pilot at the time. And my goal was to become an air ambulance helicopter pilot. And uh, day after I graduated high school or shortly after, I went over to England, started wrestling full time. The plan was wrestle for the summertime and go back to school in the in the fall. And I went over to England, started wrestling, fell in love with the business. And then that began a full-time wrestling career. Never went to university at that point. I don't blame you. It doesn't really pay these days anyway to go to university. Uh, oh, yeah. It just doesn't. You know, there are people making $25 an hour who have no education whatsoever. But with right. wrestling, that's interesting. So where did you, where are you from originally? Where did you go to high school that you ended up in England of all places? And who was the well, WWF star that came in? My second last year of high school was when I met Dewey Robertson. So it was Dewey, it was actually his son that I met first. Um, his son was a wrestler at the time, uh, jumping Jason Sterling. And so, you know, they were saying they have a school that they're setting up a school at his dad's house, which was uh, Dewey Robertson. He was the missing link in WWE. And so I met his son. Then through his son, I met Dewey. And then from that point on, I just started going down on weekends and training. And after about a little more than a year of training, uh, I finally got the first full-time wrestling job over to England. And it was through a tag team partner that I had just started tagging with in Canada. His name was Shane Sewell. So we put together a tag team and uh, we called it the Canadian Glamour Boys. He had already been to England for a few months and he came back to Canada. That's where I met Shane. We started tagging in Canada. And then it was through him, basically, that I got my first full-time wrestling job over in England. And uh, like I said, the goal was just to get over to get over there for the summertime and uh, start school again in the fall. But I started wrestling full-time, fell in love with the business. And uh, yeah, you know, 20 some odd years later, you know, it just kept on going, never stopped. Yeah, it's been quite a journey for you, especially. It seems like you've had so many ups and downs, like you didn't know what was going to come next. Well, I thought the Val Venus gimmick was the best gimmick ever. I loved it. It was so edgy and so cool. It spoke to me in many ways. And uh, I thought of you earlier when I was watching the Lorena Baba documentary. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, okay, so didn't they have a skit once where someone allegedly, or there was an angle where they were going to cut your dick off? Yes. Yeah. The, uh, the Kai and Tai team were, uh, the, the whole storyline was Mr. Yamaguchi's son had this Japanese wife. Of course I come in, I start smoozing with the wife and, you know, kind of, I guess you could say giving her the goods and, uh, we made videos and then we presented those videos, uh, on raw live. And right in front of Mr. Yamaguchi's son, he flipped out. Eventually, he got his team together, beat me down, handcuffed me to a water pipe that was going across the ceiling. And uh, yanked my trunks down, put my junk on a chopping block, and then up the sword went. And then, of course, the lights flipped out. And that combined with a little bit of shrinkage due to that cold chopping block, the man missed. And uh, as the storyline goes, the big vow boast to return the next week, all intact. <laughs> well, hold on a second. Did they actually show your penis on TV? 
No, the camera shot was from behind. So you saw my back. You saw my derriere. It was all blurred out. But you couldn't see anything on the front. All you could see that there was a chopping block right in front of me. And I just so happened to be standing in front of it. And then you saw the sword go up. And then the lights went out. You see, this is the thing. You're Canadian, right? Yeah, original. You Canadian people and these dick things. So this is you now that you had that, right? Then about uh, earlier this year in XPW wrestling, there's a Canadian wrestler called The Body, okay? But they legitimately stuck a needle through his penis. I'm sorry, what? He legitimately allowed his um, his opponent, who happened to be British, by the way, stick a needle through his dick in the ring. Why would they do that? I don't know. I think it was I, I know what the trick was, which I'll tell you off the air. I, but you never tell the magician never tells the audience how the trick is really done. It was right. done. But it was just insane. I'm like, what I said to him afterwards, what is it with you Canadian people, man? Like you people and, and, and this stuff is just crazy. <laughs> Those are Canadians doing their, uh, Canadians always get into wrestling somehow or another. And I just wonder, like, what is it in the water there that produces some of the best wrestlers to date? Well, uh, you know, the wrestling's a big uh, is a big event in Canada. You know, Canadians love pro wrestling. I mean, you take take a look at hockey. Hockey's huge up there. I'm going to say there's a huge percentage of hockey fans that don't go there for the hockey game. They go there because they want to see scraps. Uh, from what I understand now, I haven't been to a hockey game in years, but from what I understand now, the scraps are kind of waning from hockey as I guess they become, I guess, somewhat pussified and uh, they're kind of getting away from that. But it used to be a big thing in hockey. A lot of people would go to the, to the hockey games just for the fights. And so pro wrestling was just kind of a, an exaggerated form of just constant fighting for entertainment. Now, we're going to get to the term pussify very soon. <laughs> we're going to backtrack a second because it's one of my favorite terms. You know, the, the <laughs> of the American man today, but <clears throat> or just most males. With Okay, when you were at WWE, clearly there were so many great things going on at one point that I think the decline happened Probably at around 2007, six-ish, when it became so PG. Did you ever find yeah. yourself like scared at one point for your job or your gimmick that maybe this is going to be the end and you didn't know what would happen to you next? Um, not really. By that time, by like 2006, 2007, um, I saw the direction WWE was going in. They were going, you know, they were moving towards that PG era. Um, and quite frankly, at the time, I wasn't being used uh, any by, you know, in a, in a format that was anything other than a gatekeeper, basically, which working with all the new guys coming in um, and giving my reviews to the office on the new guys coming in uh, was basically my position for my last several years there. And uh, I saw the writing on the wall. Um, and the other part of that was, I believe, after Vince Russo and a couple of the other writers left, there was nobody left there that could write for the Val Venus character or even just write at all anything other than PG stuff. And uh, so I saw the writing on the, on the walls there. And, you know, at that point, it's, 
and it's not a, it's not that I lost my passion for performing. I love performing. Even to this day, I love performing. But the politics of it was it was just to the point where I didn't want to deal with it anymore. I was I was losing my passion for uh, for dealing with the politics of it. Um, and it's it's one of those things where. You know, I, everybody thinks I'm a political person. I hate politics. That's why I rage against it so much online. In real politics, real politics where they dictate how you how we live our lives and how much we have to pay and obey from cradle to grave. I cannot stand that stuff. And it's the same thing in pro wrestling. I'm coming in there with a certain set of talent to go in there and exchange my work, labor, skills, and talents to entertain the fans. And when the writers are looking at a talented human being yet because they can't write for that character or you're not kissing their asses. Um, you know, you're kind of, you, you kind of get pushed back to the back burner because the writers are going to write for whoever's kissing their asses really. And uh, when it comes to ass kissing the right, the writers, that's very political and I can't stand politics. So it was one of those things I wasn't willing to do. I wasn't willing to, you know, kiss the writer's asses. I mean, after I didn't have to kiss Vince Russo's ass. That man could write and he could write for everybody. If Vince said, I need you to write for everybody on the card, he literally wrote for everyone on the card. And I know there's a lot of people that may not like Vince Russo because he wasn't a wrestling guy. He was he was a writer. Whereas you take a look at the writers there today and, and starting even back when they started to turn PG, in my view, you had comic book writers, you had Hollywood writers, you had writers that would write for the things for the small, I guess you could say uh, the, the small amount of things they could write for is what they would focus on. Compare that to people like Vince Russo and his team of writers any of those writers could have written for anybody on the card. And I think that was a big difference. Uh, you know, there, there was the political side of it that really just kind of, I guess, waned on my, or kind of put a lot of pressure on my passion for pro wrestling at the time. And it just, it made me not want to be there anymore. You know, and I stayed around until uh, 2009 when they did the Black Friday thing. That was after the 2008 housing crash. Everybody was losing their jobs. I was off with a shoulder injury. I had already lost my passion really for being on the road full time and having to deal with, you know, just trying to maintain a spot. And, uh, you know, once they released me on that Black Friday, I was like, that's it. Um, you know, I don't want to do this full time anymore. That's reasonable enough. I, I mean, I don't blame you. Once you lose the passion and the fuel for something, it shows. And I agree wholeheartedly with Vince Russo being a genius. He's one of the people that I have so much respect for in this business because he did a lot, but your character was so simple to write for. The biggest, the funniest one was when you find out that Terry Reynolds is pregnant, then you dump her. I mean, come on. How much more controversy? You could do so many different things. And for those Nimrods not to come up with one good thing for you is just beyond me, you know? And Jazz and I had this talk when she was there. They didn't know what to do with her. I yeah. mean, she was badass. She was a small, she was very tiny, but a real big badass at that point. It's oh, yeah. like, come on, man. You can't do anything with jazz. But I just I I I'm just astonished at the state of wrestling these days. Do you watch wrestling anymore? Do you stay in contact with anyone? 
Um, well, yeah, I stay in contact with a, with a few of the guys, but as far as, as wrestling goes, I don't watch the product anymore. And it's not that I don't want to, because, uh, you know, if, if I have time, uh, I would love to turn on the TV and watch an entire episode and just see what's going on, see who all the new characters are. But I really don't watch it anything beyond when I'm just catching YouTube clips of different matches when I'm doing cardio. Um, but as far as watching a show, I just don't have time to. I'm just going nonstop all day long, every day. It doesn't seem as entertaining as it was. And this is the part of the show where I like to compare notes with my, uh, with the cool people that come on um, with the nineties versus now. And I think in the nineties, it was so much more different with wrestling. It was so unleashed and so raw. And today I think there's an aspect of it where it's just gone. Do you think there's any difference or could you see the decline in the actual wrestlers towards your end of uh, your career at WWE that they were bringing in? Um, I would probably say, yeah, a little bit. I would see a decline. Now you still get those guys that go in there and they tell stories in the ring. Um, but for the most part, from what I can see, the little bits and pieces that I see on YouTube when I'm doing cardio, all I see are big moves for the sake of doing big moves. Um, there, there's no real storytelling. There's no working a leg, working an arm, working the neck, working a back. There's no psychology in a lot of these matches. And uh, I will say it is really refreshing when you see a match that, okay, you got a, one guy that's, you know, he's taking heat on a leg. The other guy's taking heat on the arm. And they're telling that story of a damaged leg and a damaged arm. And uh, you don't see that much in in, uh, in wrestling these days. And I really think that is where you get an emotional connection with the fans. When you're telling the big story outside the ring that leads up to the match, but you're also telling the story of what's happening inside the match. And uh, I just don't see that, you know, very much these days. I just watched a guy get a powerbomb off the top rope and within less than 20 seconds later, that guy's running the ropes like there's nothing wrong with him. Whoa, 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 stop for a second. He took a power bomb off the top rope, then he's running. Off the top rope. And less than 30 seconds later, they're shooting him off the ropes and he's drop kicking guys. And it was, uh, I'm sitting there shaking my head at this going, what am I watching here? A power bomb off the top rope, that's a big move. How you can get up or have someone shoot you off the ropes and you reverse it and drop kick the guy right afterwards. And then the guy pops up and now he's bumping and feeding you. When you just took a powerbomb out of the top rope, I don't get it. It's things like that make me want to turn the channel. Yeah, I'm just feeling sick from the whole thing. I mean, someone as tiny as Jazz powerbombed me, and I just sold it. I That's mean, it. Forget the, yeah, Still. Exactly. Forget the part that you ripped my shirt by accident, but I'm just laying <laughs> there. I can't move. You know, if she did that in real life, well, it is real life, but if she did that in a regular, you know, a ground, yeah, I'd probably, you know, be dead. But nonetheless, that's <laughs> with the storytelling. And then there's also the whole role of promos. I feel like we've lacked promos. You had some of the best promos ever. Did they write those for you or are you improvising most of the time? About 50% of those jokes were ones that I just wrote myself. Um, there were times where the writers would come and they, you know, one of the writers would have thought of something really good during the week. And when I see him at TV, he's like, Hey, what do you think of this? And I'll look at it and I'll go, Oh, that's really good. I like that. And I'll use it. But about 50% of what was written was written by me, uh, a little bit by the writers when, you know, ever at a, uh, whenever they just thought of something during the week, 
Well, there were a lot of times where I'd be in the locker room brainstorming for something about the city that we're in that night. How can I make a joke out of this? And uh, sometimes I just couldn't think anything. You get that writer's block and the two people I would go to that were real solid in coming up with something on a regular basis whenever I had brain farts. And number one was Al Snow. Believe it or not, Al Snow came up with stuff like this. And if Al Snow wasn't around, Kane, believe it or not, Kane could come up with some pretty catchy stuff. It was, uh, it was pretty cool. He seems like a man that doesn't say very much. So He really doesn't, but his brain's going a million miles an hour all the time. Yeah, he's, uh, he's a smart dude. He really is. Now, let's go let's fast forward to the intergender match you had. I want to get your honest thoughts on it at that point versus now. Because I'm sure that that's changed dramatically. Uh, you mean on the, like the matches I had? Yep. Are you talking about anyone in, in specifically or just uh, the few that I had? The few that you had. Yeah, like, you know, I went, uh, oh, I had inter, um, intergender matches with, uh, with China, for example. Yeah. Now, a lot of people, because, you know, I'll go online and I'll talk about this whole transgender thing where you know you have nyla rose that is being portrayed as a real woman born a woman and is wrestling against women i have an issue with that because i think when you start the number one is wrestling is supposed to be controversial in order to draw the fans in and separate the fans from their money you want the fans to get, I mean, you got to remember the fans work hard for that money. It represents the value of their work, labor, skills, talents, and they're giving that money to us, the wrestlers. And so you want to make sure you give them the best value possible for that exchange of value, right? And they're looking to be entertained. In pro wrestling, you need to be offensive. You need to be able to really make the people hate you. If you're the heel and you need to be an incredibly good baby face to get the people to love you. And the more you can get those fans separated where they hate this guy with a passion and they love this guy with a passion, the more separation you can get between that hate and love, the more money you're going to make. And when I saw it, when I, when I saw TNA bring in Nyla Rose at first, I'm thinking to myself, you could do some good storylines off of that. And I was always taught from day one that you take real life storylines and emulate those storylines in, in pro wrestling. Well, if we take a look around at what's happening with transgenderism in America, and in real life, we're having parents suing school boards for allowing males to compete against females which let's face it it's cheating it's it's straight up it's unfair and um they're competing against these females because these morons think that these men dna men these these males they were born male that just because they chop their drunk off and, and take cross-sex hormones as somehow they can compete fairly with females it's it's completely immoral it's unethical and it's a it's a wrong thing to portray to fans they get it they they understand it and you know, most of them are going to know this is ridiculous right so 
when you take a look at what's happening in real life with the parents suing school boards because they're having literally males dominate the women costing you know high school kids and college kids uh victories and, and true accomplishments are being denied to them because the men are walking away with these accomplishments leah thomas is a prime example and so if it was me running uh aew i would have brought nyla rose in as a transgender woman coming in, going to Cody Rhodes, saying, I want to wrestle the women, have Cody Rhodes say, listen, I understand you're a transgender. You play out, you play everything out on TV as it really plays out in real life, because people will understand that they can see it happening in real life. And now they're watching it happen on their TV. So you can have Cody Rhodes saying, I can't have you wrestle the women. You're still a DNA man. We'd love to have you on board, but here's where we got to put you. Then you have Nyla Rose do something like get a lawyer and have a court case. And Cody Rhodes loses the court case. Now he's got to appeal it. But in the meantime, it's court ordered that Nyla has to compete against the women. Have Nyla come in and just destroy the women, which would happen in real life more than likely. And, uh, you know, you, you build that storyline up and then finally you have something happen in there where Nyla Rose gets demolished by a real woman at some point or has a male come in and cost her the loss. And now Nyla Rose is going to fight the men. That's the way it really should have gone down. But because the woke Powers that be in AEW don't want to offend anybody. We're just going to bring Nyla Rose in. She feels like a woman. So we're going to talk about Nyla Rose as if Nyla Rose was born a woman. And we're just going to pretend that Nyla Rose is wrestling women because she's a woman. People aren't stupid. They get that Nyla Rose is a transgender and you're completely avoiding that storyline, which is it doesn't reflect what's happening in real life. And I think that's wrong. I think that's, uh, I think portraying Nyla Rose as a woman, which Nyla Rose is not, DNA man, competing against women as if Nyla Rose is a woman and on the same level playing field, when in real life we have men stealing opportunities from hardworking women that deserve their spot on the podium without a man stealing that spot. And so I think what uh, the, the two things with uh, AEW doing this, number one, the idea that you just don't want to offend anybody, you're leaving money on the table. That hurts everybody in the locker room. When you leave money on the table, you hurt everybody in the locker room. Now, it's an unrealized hurt, I guess you could say, because they never saw the money in the first place. We well, didn't see the money because you're playing to a crowd that you don't want to offend. And, uh, you know, you, when you leave money on the table, everybody in the locker room gets hurt. The company gets hurt. And uh, it's sad to see that happen. So that's number one. And then number two is the social indoctrination of presenting that kind of product on TV. You have kids watching a male being talked about by fully grown men like Jim Ross, for example, being talked about on TV as if they're just born a woman. They're competing against women. And you have these young people watching that and it's becoming normalized in their head. Now, you compare it to what I did with China, for example. China didn't come in to the ring 
trying to act like she was something she wasn't. China was a big, strong female. She knew she was female. She was 100% factually female. And she said, I want to go into the ring and challenge a man. That's a completely different story. We get that. This is a big, strong, muscular woman. She's coming into the ring to go against a man. Let's do this. But if you have a man dressing as a woman and then being talked about as if it was never a man, it was always a woman and is a woman wrestling against a woman when we all know it's a man. Now that now you're into the indoctrination thing. And, and I'm not, I think it is completely immoral and unethical to use such a powerful platform to basically very discreetly condition the minds of young people into accepting something that is completely immoral and accepting it as if it's moral and ethical and it's not and so i think there's two things with aew they've hurt the people in the in the in the locker room all that talent in the locker room gets hurt when you refuse to offend your audience that's number one you're just leaving money on the table. And then number two, the social conditioning, using the, the power of that platform in such a, I guess you could say, an immoral and unethical way. You know, it's, it's truly disgusting to watch. And it's not against Nyla Rose. I'm not saying I'm disgusted with Nyla Rose. I'm disgusted with how Nyla Rose is being portrayed as a real woman. Just, uh, she's just a woman. Let her go wrestle women. And so I think it's the people really writing the stories for nyla rose and just you know say hey go out there and wrestle the women just as if you're a woman and the young people watching that i can just imagine what's going through their heads some of them are going to be well that's just that that's moral and ethical when in reality it's completely immoral and unethical on all levels does that make sense well, it's well, yeah, I mean, a few takeaways from this, it seems like another version of grooming, you know, just like when you have a grown man sexually assaulting a minor female in a federally funded school. I mean, I go on all different websites and all of a sudden I see a grown man, a man, okay, that thinks it's a woman with a rainbow colored wig giving a child a lap dance. Yeah, and that, that's another version of grooming. So this is all under the category. And then you have the issue of the fourth wave feminists who are calling this biological male a she. They're yeah. up there plotting these, these, these men, suppressing them, a beauty pageant in Holland. The first, uh, the first prize went to a transgender person yeah. from the Netherlands. Now the runner up was gorgeous, who's a biological female. That man shouldn't be in there. Now Italy is the first country to ban men from competing against yes. women. It's like a, a retirement plan for failed male athletes. That's what I think it is when they when they go against girls. <laughs> it really is, you know? And yeah. I, I agree with you. This whole thing with AEW leaving money on the table is a very important point that I never even thought of before. But then what happens if they start offending people? Are they not going to come back and watch? Or are they going to come back and watch? You know, it's, it's well, you, you'd have to, I think you'd have to do it in, in a way, old school wrestling way where the people are questioning what they're watching. Is that real or not? If they know it's scripted like 100% and there's no question in their minds, you know, yeah, I mean, you could definitely, 
you could definitely lose some of the audience there. But if you do it in such a way, old school style, where the fans are like, hey, man, I know this is scripted, but that looks damn real what's going on here. You know what I mean? That's where the money starts coming out of the wallets. That's where the people want it. They want us. When you can get that crowd as a heel, you can get that crowd to hate you so much that they're willing to pull money out of their wallet to buy a ticket just to watch the baby face kick your ass. I mean, that's that's where you want to get back to. Today's wrestling doesn't seem like that. Today's wrestling, when, you, when I'm watching the product on YouTube, just watching clips of it, it's like every single thing I see, I know came from the writer's books. You know what I mean? It's so obvious. And uh, it's, it, there's only a few real matches that I see put together with some of the veterans where... Um, you know, you can tell that they're really trying to put together some old school stuff, but in the majority of the matches, you can tell somebody's written out a lot of that, you know, and it's, it's just, it, oh, we're entertainment. Let's just go and entertain rather than, you know, really getting back to the, to the, to the grit of pro wrestling and, and making fans question about what they're watching. Is that real? Or is this storyline real? Or is this something that's been written? You know what I mean? We got to go back to the old school style of uh, uh, promotion, really. And, and that's up to the promoter. But I think with Tony Khan, um, you know, you look at Tony Khan, he's woke. I mean, the way he the way he allowed Nyla Rose to come in and just we're just going to treat you just as if you were born a woman. Go wrestle with the women. We don't want to offend anybody. You know what I mean? Or, or in their mind, maybe they're thinking, oh, this we're going to push the culture for progression we're progressing the culture you're just insulting people in that case you know you're insulting rational people that can understand truth fact and logic and i think that costs them a lot of money in the long run yeah i agree i couldn't agree with you more it's so refreshing to hear someone speak about old school wrestling how to make the money and tell the stories but most of all let's go back to basics like kick it back 10 years or 15 years for that matter and let's go back to the whole kayfabe if we could or maybe we're like way past that at this point and tell the stories and if these 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 trannies want to wrestle go have their own division yeah that'd be great yeah yeah, it could be good. You got to remember, here's the problem is we would normally call that an oddity division kind of, right? Like you'd be an oddity in that division. Um, that to the new woke crowd, and you could create a lot of controversy from that, from a division like that, because it, it is, it is, it is outside of what we consider normal. So you could definitely, if you wrote things right for that division uh, or even cross divisioning that, you could, uh, you could, potentially make a lot of money doing that and exchange value with the fans but the reality is in this woke mind you you will find in a lot of woke minds that if you create an oddity division oh that's offensive <laughs> and they would they won't even put a second thought into it they'll just nope we're not doing that no chance no hell and uh it's it's sad to see people woke so much that just little things can offend them to the point where They'll just they won't even consider or contemplate going in that direction where that direction is where the money is really at. Are you sure people are really going to be that offended? Like what percentage? Because I feel as though we're catering to such a small percentage of people. Like at the example of Brian Kendrick, like what he said. OK, I, I don't know if you know the whole controversy 
But allegedly he said something nine years ago and then someone brought it up and he was escorted out and told to leave AEW on his first night there after they just brought him in. I mean, you didn't even give the guy a shot. People like controversy. And I'm telling you this coming from me directly. I've lived through it. I've been through the emotional, whatever bullshit people are saying. I don't give a shit, but People love to hate someone. They love to hate people so much that they're going to find that one person out there. So who are we really offending? Do you think it's a smaller majority or do you think people are just too afraid to take the dive? That's a good question because uh, I, now I don't know the whole story with Brian Kendrick about what he said. I guess he said stuff about like Nazis or something or (laughs) whatever it was. It, it's something that's really out there. Like it's, it's something that, that people talk about, you know what I mean? And you know, it's, it's offensive that you bring a guy, I mean, Brian Kendrick is talented. The, the guy's a stud in the ring. The guy is super talented. Um, who cares where his head's at outside the ring? If he's got questions about things that, you know, other people are talking about, why should that be a, a, a spot, you know, a reason to fire a guy or kick him out of the building? You know, it's it's one of those things where, I mean, you take a look at WWE, for example. They, I mean, from what I understand, they were pushing that vaccine on a lot of people uh, and making them wear masks. And, you know, when you, when, when you have a rational mind, you could see when all this was going down, you didn't need to be one year separated from it or two years separated from it. I could see crystal clear when, when the... CDC came out and started recommending masks and the vaccine. I'm sitting there going, wait a minute, wait a minute. Government's saying this. When government says jump, the smart people sit their asses down and the dumb people jump. So when the CDC and Fauci and all these idiots were running around saying, you got to wear a mask if you don't want to kill your grandma. You got to get vaccinated if you don't want to kill your grandma. And then People who I thought were of rational mind in WWE, a la Triple H, all of a sudden demanding that other people wear masks and go get the vaccine and Triple H himself went and got the vaccine. And then all of a sudden he has a genetic heart condition. Come on, come on. Big Pharma fucked Triple H up. And the fact that, and I, you know, Triple H, when it comes to pro wrestling, he's got a mind for the business. That guy has a, he's an incredible mind for the business. He's a student of the game. He constantly watches older matches and constantly brainstorming. When it comes to pro wrestling, that guy is a stud in his mind, in the way his mind works for pro wrestling. But when it comes to government's relationship with private sector humans and Triple H and all of the talent underneath him are private sector human beings. When it comes to that toxic relationship between government and private sector human beings, it is 100 percent evil. And uh, the fact that that man couldn't see that and just went along and told everybody in WWE, hey, it's probably best if you all get your vaccines and you all wear your masks. And to me, when I saw Triple H do that, I was like, man, this guy's playing with fire, playing with people's lies because government says so. And that's when I realized outside of wrestling, Triple H is about as dumb as a box of rocks. Dumb as a box of rocks. What he did there, not even say it's it's 
It's amazing to me that government can come out, mandate all these things, just based on the fact that they put the fear of God in all of private sector community, right? And Triple H doesn't sit down and think about, he just says, oh, government says to do this, and then writes some memo and just demands that everybody under him do this. And now you had Keith Lee, I guess, soon after that was also struck with some kind of heart condition. I mean, this ruined people's lives. And you can't say, well, government mandated it. Well, okay, there were a lot of people in WWE that if they had the choice, they would not have gotten that vaccine. But because not only government mandated it, there's also yeah, people like Triple H and other people in the WWE office that were saying, hey, it's probably a good idea to move forward, if you know what we mean. And they start threatening that, like, what would you what would you call it? I guess your, your, your standard of living. They're threatening to take away your standard of living if you don't get the jab, you know. And then when, you know, it was a little while after Triple H had gotten his jab, and then all of a sudden he went down hard with some kind of heart condition, still not clear what it was. No one's ever saying anything about it. But he dropped with a heart condition that supposedly has now ended his career. And he doesn't come out and say to the fans, hey, guys, I was on the side where I was told by government we should get the jab. I got the jab. Now I've got this heart condition. I don't know what to tell you. That's the information I'm giving to you. Your private sector humans make up your own mind. He doesn't say that. That would be a wise thing to do, especially in his position. But he doesn't do that. And that leads me to believe in his mind, he would rather never admit that he was wrong and let people continue to take the jab rather than say, hey, well, guys, I, there's a good chance I was wrong here. I didn't have a heart condition before. I took the jab. Now I have a heart condition. You may want to look into this before you go and take the jab. He just totally ignores it. And I think in his position where he told people to get the jab, he should now come back and say, hey, guys, this happened to me. I can't prove that it was a vaccine. But if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, there's a chance it could be a duck. Your life's in your hands. Don't take my advice. He doesn't do that. He basically just, oh, I guess I was wrong. Let's just sweep it under the rug and never talk about it again. And now you still have people out there taking the jabs every year. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. So, you know, it's. When it comes to government mandating things and you see um, the the powers that be in big companies mandating that all the employees take uh, take the jab or lose your job, um, you know, it's, it's, it's government. You did, that's the problem. People don't realize the toxicity between private sector human beings and government. That relationship is incredibly toxic. But if you ask the private sector human beings, hey, what would you do without government? Oh, well, we would have chaos. I think we'd have peace. Yeah, well, what's really ridiculous is people listen to Fauci. Didn't he mishandle the AIDS crisis in the 90s? That's he was Fauci. accused. He was absolutely accused by his colleagues of yeah. being a mass murderer. He was accused of his colleagues of being the guy that brought forth HIV. They said it came from a monkey or whatever, but you know, that's not what his colleagues say. 
His colleagues say that it was him and his team that created this. And apparently, from what I understand, and who knows what the reality is, but there's some good evidence that leads towards this. They created HIV to see how HIV can destroy the immune system over a period of, you know, a couple of decades and then study how HIV destroys the immune system and then create a vaccine that will mimic what HIV does in order to induce population control. And you see the you see excess deaths. They're going through the roof right now. And uh, excess deaths, like cancer rates are shooting up, strokes are shooting up, heart attacks are shooting up. And uh, it's unbelievable. My sister just called me two days ago, and she said that one of her good friends, she, she works in the movie industry up there. She does a lot of the makeup stuff and special effects. And uh, one of her good friends, I guess, that worked with her at some point, uh, out of the blue, I think she was 42 years old, out of the blue, had a brain aneurysm and is now probably not going to make it. And she was double jabbed, totally healthy beforehand. And it's, it's things like that. Those stories will never get reported. You know, it's just one. And how do you prove it's the vaccine? Well, you can't. My dad, after a second vaccine, 77 years old, but he was healthy. Healed over, dropped dead before he even hit the ground. Unbelievable. Uh, it was unbelievable. You know, and uh, it's, it's sad to see that happen. And, you know, my father was another one. He was another one that believed everything government said. And I begged him. I begged him not to take those shots. And uh, after he took that second shot, I remember he told my sister, because my sister was going off on him. And I, he told my sister, he goes, well, I guess I'm doomed then, aren't I? And being sarcastic. And it was literally a couple of months after that, he just keeled over. You know, and that, it's, it's sad to see it's happening all over right now. And well, none of it's being reported. It's no joke. And like my mom took it and she was like, she's wearing a mask while we were out eating like last month. I'm like, you have to take this off. Like that is how people prevent oxygen from getting to their brains. Take that stupid thing off because I will burn it. I'm just, and people are now wearing masks again. I'm at the doctor's office the other day and it's a big place. The workers don't have masks on. A lot of other people don't. The one woman standing next to me, where's your mask? I'm like, I don't know, up your fucking cunt. Where is it? Like, where is your mask? You need to keep a mask on because you are ugly. So do keep your mask there you on. Go. I have a doctor's note. I don't care. And I just, I laugh at people now when I see it. But I just remember the whole, everyone yelling at everyone, where is your mask? And I watched one of the WWE uh, pay-per-views just to see what it was with the pandemic going on. It looked like a cartoon. There were no, yeah. there was no interaction uh, and the guys looked very uncomfortable, but then you strip away all the optics, like the fireworks and everything and the adrenaline, then you see what the product really is. And this is when I said to myself, wow, it's changed quite a bit. It's not that great anymore, you know? Yeah. And that's what you should be doing. I think, you know, this is your, your, your next career, which should happen very soon, is a consultant for a wrestling consultant slash storylines because you remind me of someone else in my locker room and Masada Masada comes up with really good things and you come up with these really great things and you know what you're talking about, which is refreshing because people don't know this, you know, you have yeah. one of the best gimmicks ever. And uh, by the way, how did you get into motorcycle? Were you flat track racing? What were you doing with motorcycles? No, my dad rode uh, rode motorcycles all his life. So when my when my brother and I were young, you know, he got us started early. 
and uh we started riding i think i think my first bike was like a little rm80 or something like that a little suzuki rm80 so we started just you know practicing motocross and the next thing you know we started racing and racing pretty regularly as well and uh so my brother my dad would take my brother and i racing constantly every every spring every summer every fall and then we'd put the bikes away for the winter uh, there were a couple of winners where we, you know, put the uh, the studs into our into the knobs on the tires and went out and did some uh, flat tracking on the ice, you know, on the lakes. Um, got bored of that pretty quick, though. Um, you know, if I want to do flat track racing, I, I've never done flat track racing, but it's something I've always wanted to try. Um, but uh, yeah, we did it all the way up until I was 18 years old. My brother still does it to this day um but yeah i did it all up until i was 18 and then when i started wrestling i kind of got away from it i still ride once in a while but not all that often and then i started street riding when i was 16 still street ride today um but you know one thing i don't know if you ever heard of trials riding no. you know where you got the trials bikes where they go up onto cars and they balance and then they go up onto boulders and they got to balance the bike and they got to like whoa whoa and jump over to the next boulder and then balance the bike you ever seen that no why did you do that are you about to I that's what I, i've always wanted to do trials riding if you google trials riding and watch a couple videos you'll see what i'm talking about it's uh it's totally it's it's so cool i remember uh my father uh when my brother and i were kids every january in toronto the motorcycle show is it was funny you know the motorcycle show was every january in the winter in toronto so no one rides but everybody goes to the motorcycle show to see what's new for the spring right so every january we'd go to the motorcycle show in toronto and they always had a section set up of obstacles where they would have trials bike inside the building and they'd have a little competition there and i remember watching that and just thinking man, i'd love to try that someday but i was motocrossing so it's just something i just every time i got on the bike i was motocrossing and never tried trials riding now that I'm 52 years old, and I look back and I got some land up north uh, out in the wilderness that uh, I'm going to build a homestead on. And so I've already dedicated one corner of the property to build out a, uh, a course where we could do uh, trials riding. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it up there. Yeah, that it, sounds crazy. <laughs> yeah, it, it's super cool. If you ever get a shot, you should check out a trials riding competition. It's really cool. I'll do that. Like I've gone, I, I would watch one. I've done, I've gone to motocross and um, flat tracks because I have friends that do flat track racing. It's really nice. Plus I, I used to write for a motorcycle magazine. So I, one of my articles was a day at the tracks. So I went to the track, uh, the track by Paris, California, which is great. And it was great. I had it all to myself that day. Then you see, oh, the that's so cool. I like watching hooligan races because that, that's what I would do is I would probably, if I ever, wanted to do something else or one more thing i'd want to go do hooligan racing hooligan, very good very good i had no clue you rode that's, that's <laughs> badass i've been doing this since i was younger i got on the back of uh i used to look at those david mann paintings and then i watched movies you know i was watching like movies with sunny barger what was it uh hell on wheels things like that then you know you growing up in manhattan you know you see hell's angels all the time like helping old ladies up the stairs with their groceries and the guy put me in the back of his bike. I was underage, but he wasn't doing anything stupid and nefarious like people would assume. And just right. to put me on the block on it. Then I had a rebel at one point, and that's in the Nighthawk, then the rebel. So then it just escalated into more and more um, 
bikes and now I have two. Uh, so I just haven't had time to go riding in a while. So now it's time to like rev it back up. I have to de-rust my chain, which takes like forever. I just hate <laughs> Like I'm sitting there like, okay, I'll just do it later. I'll come back next week and do it. It's like, fuck. So eventually. Very good. Yeah. At least a lot of people that ride bikes and especially with you, like with wrestling, I could understand like stopping for a bit because there are injuries, right? Didn't you have an injury from that? From motocross? Yeah. Oh yeah, I broke my ankle in six places. Yeah, back uh, back when I was well, yeah, broke it in six places. It was brutal. It was brutal. But you know, as young as I was at that point, um, you know, it healed up quick. Like that, I think I was out three months, and then I was back on a bike again after three months. Now at fifty-two years of age, I think it would take a lot longer to heal. You know what I mean? I don't think it would heal that fast. I was shocked how fast it healed. But yeah, I broke it in six places question when you go to a lot of the signings because that's where you and i reconnected do you think that people give you um a hard well do people give you a hard time for your views because your views are out there on a public forum yeah no you know that that's the surprising thing is i very rarely um have anybody keep come up to me and be as bold as they are online you know, I've had guys come up to me that are hardcore liberals, huge wrestling fans. They're hardcore liberals, and we go at it online. You know what I mean? And at the time, I didn't know who they were. I just, you know, just battling them and debating them. And I could tell they had no no positions really firmly, you know, solidified in their own minds because it didn't take much to break down those walls and then make them change the subject real quick. You know what I mean? But when they show up at the signings, they're like, oh, hey, Mr. Venus, uh, can I have that picture and sign it to this? And I'll sign it. And they go, I go at you on Twitter all the time. And I go, oh, yeah, what's your Twitter handle? And then they'll tell me their Twitter handle. And I'll go, damn, you're, you're a lot nicer in person than you are online. <laughs> now, there was this one chick that I... Uh, I guess she's a hardcore leftist. I didn't realize she was also a demented hardcore leftist, which, you know, th there are some, th there are a lot of leftists out there that are firm in their positions, but they're not as bold in real life. You know what I mean? They're, they're kind of, they, they want to be your friend. They want to be cool with you in real life. But when they're online, they're, rah, you know, this one chick, however, and I can't remember, I think it was savage, something savage. I can't remember. But um, I had posted, this is what, one of the things that got me banned off of Twitter was when all the stuff from Hunter Biden's, a lot of the photos from Hunter Biden's laptop got dropped. The very first time, the first batch of photos that got dropped had a lot of stuff that was shady in there, like him naked with a little girl, maybe five, six years old, holding her hand and she's in like a bikini. And there's mirrors all around and I mean, shady, shady stuff. So I posted that on Twitter and going, here's Hunter Biden and you guys can make what you want of this. And he just posted up there. Well, because it was clearly Hunter Biden in a sexual type of atmosphere holding a little girl's hand while he's in his little tidy whities That's all he had on holding a little girl's hand that was in red lingerie, like five or six years old. Okay, it's not a photo of 
actual sex, but you know what's happening there. Oh, yeah. They're and reading so, stories, sure. Oh, yeah. So I posted that and said, hey, here's your Hunter Biden about to engage in child pedophilia. Well, that is when you're offending somebody that the hardcore liberals support. And this one chick, and I can't remember her first name, but I know it ended in savage, um, something savage. She came to, I believe it was Atlantic City when I was doing a signing there. And she came running up to my table. And the first thing she started screaming at the top of her lungs, why did you post that child porn? And I didn't know what she was talking about because I've never posted child porn. What the fuck are you talking about? And she goes, you posted that child porn and I reported it. And that's what got you booted off of there. And I'm going, oh, so you're the one that reported Hunter Biden's pictures off his own laptop. And even while I'm saying specifically what it is that she reported, the Hunter Biden thing is completely ignored. It's completely, it's, it's going in one ear and out the other. And it's, why did you post child porn on my timeline? Is basically what she was saying. Basically, trying to get everybody around to ignore that it's Hunter Biden, but it's child porn that was posted. Well, number one, it wasn't child porn. Why you knew it was leading into child porn. And number two, it's Hunter Biden. Hello. But that didn't compute in her brain. She is so delusional that that doesn't matter to her. It's, you know what I mean? She looked at me as the enemy and she was going to try and stick a knife right through me. You know what I mean? It's, it's a sickness. It's a, it's a mental disorder that these oh, people yeah. suffer from. You know what I mean? I hope you're enjoying the ride on Crazy Train with Jasmine St. Clair podcast. So if you are, do me a huge, huge favor. Woo! Please go ahead. Go on to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever, but Apple's great. Give me a nice rating and review. Send me a screenshot and I promise you I will send you a special goodie bag. So please rate and review Crazy Train with Jasmine St. Clair podcast. And in exchange for that, once I see the DM with the review and your name and address, I will get those gift bags out to you. I'm not going to tell you what's in it. 